So illegal to disturb a grave, you need to follow the processes that are set forth, whether you know there's graves there before you start your work or in the course of your work, you uncover burial spaces. So once you know it's there, you better follow the rules. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's it's an actual crime punished by jail time. This is Infrastructure Junkies. Welcome, Infrastructure Junkies, to your show, this is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Infrastructure Junkies podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry. We are your primary source of news, trends, and developments in eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and the Uniform Relocation Act. I'm Dave Arnold. And I'm Kristen Bennett. Infrastructure junkies, have you ever been on a right-of-way project with a cemetery in your way? I mean, they can't answer, so I'll answer it. I haven't. Uh, Kristen, that was a rhetorical question. Do you know what that means? I think you know that I do not know what that means. Okay. So infrastructure junkies, have you ever been on a project where construction has started and you've run across what might be human remains? Oh my gosh, like you walk around the corner and there in the right-of-way, boom, dead body that's been like murdered. No, like you find a knuckle bone or something like that in the dirt. A knuckle? What is a knuckle bone, you knucklehead? What, oh, okay, like sorry. a finger bone? Finger, a jaw bone, a something that, that could be human remains. Or what if you're in a right-of-way project in construction and you notice the color and the hue of the soil has changed unexpectedly, so it might signify an unmarked grave site. Well, how am I supposed to know that? Good question. How are we supposed to know that? I don't know. Like, is there, do we call somebody? Who do we call? Uh, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, that's a little 1980s and the sequel sucked. So no, okay. actually you're going to call our guest today on infrastructure junkies. Okay. Well, before we get to that, let me tell you one of my favorite quotes since we're talking about dead bodies. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. Did you know a good friend will help you move? A really good friend will help you move a body. Boom. (laughs) Really? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Back to the show. All right. I I apologize, listeners, if we have any left. Today on Infrastructure Junkies, we are hosting the premier expert on funeral and cemetery law in the United States. She teaches the only funeral and cemetery law course in our country. The only one. In, In the entire United States. In the entire United States. How did you find this lady? Magic. Okay. But first, do you enjoy infrastructure junkies? I mean, they're here, ain't they? Kristen, hush. Okay. Pendulum Land Services is the proud sponsor of this and many other episodes of Infrastructure Junkies. Thank you, Pendulum Land Services. You can find them at PendulumLand.com. That's PendulumLand.com. Our guest today on Infrastructure Junkies is Tanya D. Marsh. She is a professor of law at Wake Forest University School of Law. Now, you know where she got her law degree from? You probably never heard of this school. Try me. She got her law degree from this little podunk university called Harvard Law. Yeah. Not only did she graduate from Harvard Law, but she graduated cum laude from Harvard Law. That's like pretty good, right? Yeah, that's pretty okay. That's pretty okay. (laughs) Now, she did her undergrad studies, Kristen, in a place you're familiar with. 
Where's that? Indiana University. She's a Hoosier. She is a Hoosier. And aside from being a Hoosier and a Harvard Law graduate and a professor of law at Wake Forest, she is an expert in death and cemetery and funeral law. Now, check this out. She's written some articles. If you, Her CV is like, I don't know, seven, eight pages long. But, like, I'm dying to read some of these articles that she's written. Right. Like, here's one. Corpse disposition and the law. I guess what that means is what do you do with dead bodies? I guess so. Yeah. Or a short history of corpse disposition in Manhattan. Uh, okay. Like, what do you do with a dead body if you're in New York City? Call a mafia. <laughs> I know a guy. I got. I know a guy. A guy who knows a guy. Yeah, uh-huh, me too. And she's also written an article called "When Death and Dirt Collide: Legal and Property Interests in Burial Places." That sounds fun. And how about this one? A new lease on death. That's one thing I don't need is a new lease on death, but I'd like to read it. A new lease on life sounds good. A new lease on death. Okay. Okay. Here's one. Another article she wrote is called "Ebola Embalming and the Dead: Controlling the Spread of Infectious Disease." Ebola. I kind of forgot about that one with all the COVID nonsense. And the spread of infectious disease, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then she wrote an article called Rethinking the Law of the Dead. And that's kind of what we're going to do today, right? We're going to think the law of the dead. I've not thunk it yet. (laughs) Right, right. Now, that's not all she's written. She's got a wonderful CV, and she is the premier expert in the country on this topic. And she is a fantastic resource in the right-of-way field when it comes to these things. Professor Tanya Marsh, welcome to Infrastructure Junkies. How are you today? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I've got a question, and this has been burning me up ever since I talked to you the first time. Are you ready? I'm ready. Can you actually see dead people? Oh, Dave. (laughs) Well, I got to ask the question. Uh, That's what everybody wants to know. Absolutely not. (laughs) I have no special, no special powers. And I would, I'm just going to tell you, if you had said, yes, I can interview over, we're done. I don't want (laughs) to know my date of death. I don't want to know anything like that. No, I'm going to, I'm going to like do a deep dive on that. We're going to double the episode. Are you kidding me? All right. (laughs) Seriously though, you teach the only course on cemetery and funeral law in any American law school. Side note, eat your heart out, Robert Thomas. Um, I got asked the question seriously, how in the world did you get into something so obscure? Well, so I practiced commercial real estate law in Indianapolis for 10 years before I became a law professor. And cemeteries, as we will talk about today, are just a land use, right? I was always interested in cemeteries because I did genealogy before I even went to law school. And in fact, I got interested in property law in the first place because I'd been doing deed searches in county courthouses to try and figure out genealogy stuff. So you know, cemeteries were always super interesting to me just from that standpoint. But then when I started digging into the law a little bit, I realized that this is like, for somebody who thought they understood real estate law, this was a whole aspect of property law that I had no idea about and all these little twists and turns. And it's just super fascinating to me. Yeah. Another side question, is Halloween a big event at your house? (laughs) It's Halloween every day in our house. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you raised a great point. I've been a practicing lawyer for almost 30 years now, and I have dealt in the field of property and property rights for more than half my career. And I wasn't familiar with that there was like a subcategory of cemetery law, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know. And like, I'm in the field and I didn't even know that. If you're in the infrastructure development industry, right of way industry, these things pop up where you run across uh, what could be an unmarked grave or a cemetery or human remains, and you don't know 
Like, what do you do next? What do we do? So that's why we're so glad to have you on today. Can we just, in your own words, like explain this to me as Denzel Washington would say, explain this to me like I'm a six-year-old. What is cemetery law? Sure. Well, start with property law, right? Property law is state law. All property is local. So property law is state law. There is some statutory law that is legislature-made law. That's mostly about like landlord-tenant and how to record a deed and on specific kinds of topics. But the vast majority of property law is what we call common law, right? Judge-made law. And it's just made by different fact circumstances coming in front of courts over in the case of property law, hundreds and hundreds of years and building on itself. And then we get a sense of what the rules are. So cemetery law is just a subset of property law and it's set up the same way. It is almost entirely state law. There is some statutory law, but that mostly has to do with licensing cemeteries that are currently operating. But when we talk about what legal and property interests exist in places where humans have been buried, that's overwhelmingly common law. And so it's not super surprising that this is kind of an obscure area of the law that we don't all know about because you really have to go through a lot of court opinions to even figure out what the rules are. And so if people don't encounter these problems very often, it's a high bar to try and get up to speed with this area of the law. So if I can paraphrase what I think I heard you say, the laws regarding cemeteries or the deceased may vary from state to state. So you need to check your local laws, consult a lawyer or an attorney barred in your jurisdiction. But there are certain common or basic principles that span the entire land, for lack of a better way of saying it. Correct. But that, but not because it's federal law, right? So it's, right. it's common law, common principles, common rules that we'll have in place to place. And there are a bunch of different and unique statutes in different states, but they tend to follow similar paths. So we can talk real generally for an audience that is in many states about what these principles are, but absolutely people, the, the devil's in the details, right? So that people need to talk to an attorney who can tell them the rules for their particular jurisdiction. Well, yeah, because we as right-of-way professionals, like how many times am I going to encounter this sort of a situation in my entire career? Like less than I can count on one hand, right? Well, I've already encountered it three or four times. Have you? As an attorney, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, you, but you don't do it every day. No, you don't, no. And you don't know all the, yeah. Which is part of the problem, right, in terms of people developing expertise because you only run into it every once in a while. When I first started doing this, my friends who are real estate lawyers, they said, cemetery law, come on, Tanya. What, like, what are you doing? Like, what a weird thing. And then they said, but I have this one question. <laughs> and they always had a question because it turned out almost all of them who'd been practicing for a while had a case where they were developing something and there were graves in the way, or they were trying to buy something and there were graves on the property. It, it, it comes up all the time, but we only individually run into it every little once in a while. Well, let, let's talk about some of the very most basic premises or concepts that would probably apply anywhere. And the most basic one would be it's illegal to disturb a grave, right? Is that the rule? Yes, that's correct. So it's illegal to disturb a grave. And then we have to look at sort of the differences between marked and unmarked graves because the law is going to treat them differently. So let's say you own real property and that there are burial places on that real property. You have documentary evidence or the surveyor said these are burial spaces or there's tombstones. 
there's a certain set of laws that you have to abide by if you want to do any work on that real property that would involve impacting those graves. And those are called disinterment statutes. So essentially the process in most states is you'd have to go to the court to get their permission to move the graves. And that process would include them notifying other people who might have an interest in those grave spaces. And we can talk about who those people might be in a second. But then it's a different situation if you own or control real property and you're digging and you find evidence of human burial. Now a different set of rules are going to come into play and they vary quite a bit from state to state. But in most states, they're going to require you to immediately stop work and then notify someone with either the local or the state government, usually a county coroner or state archaeologist, depending on the jurisdiction. And then they're going to give you instructions about how to proceed. So the state archaeologist would probably come in and do a survey and try and figure out how old the graves are and where they came from. And and if they're Native American burials, then we have a federal law that would come into play, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which is going to impose further sort of procedures on any disturbance involving Native American burial places. So illegal to disturb a grave, you need to follow the processes that are set forth. So once you know it's there, you better follow the rules. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's an actual crime punished by jail time if you disturb a grave, knowing that's a grave. Pendulum Land Services is a full-service right-of-way company. But here's what they do. Just as infrastructure junkies found an expert on cemetery law, Pendulum Land Services has a deep Rolodex and will always find you the right expert, regardless of what unexpected challenges may arise. You can find them at PendulumLand.com. That's PendulumLand.com. Let's break it down between marked and unmarked graves. So I'm on a right-of-way project, and there's a cemetery, Mm -hmm. and it's on the plan sheets, and we know that a road is going to go through it. And you said something about notifying next of kin, or can you just give us kind of the basic process of notification in those instances? Right. So you're talking about a right-of-way project, just so that I know we're talking about the same facts. You haven't acquired the fee in the real property yet. Are you trying to figure out how to do the taking? You know there's a cemetery, and you know we're going to put a road in it, and we're yeah. all a bunch of engineers are sitting around scratching their head and say, well, we better call right. legal. What do we need to do? Right. Reroute? Okay. <laughs> Reroute, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there are a lot of roads that do that, right? They just They have figured out that it's cheaper and easier to go around. Okay, so what you're going to need to do the taking is to identify whose interests are being taken, right? So if there's a visible cemetery, there's tombstones, you can identify who the owner of the cemetery is, and it's such and such cemetery association, local cemetery association. You need to figure out what kind of cemetery you're dealing with. So if it's a little family cemetery tucked into the corner of a farm, then the family, when they buried people in that corner, they didn't sell grave sites, right? They just buried family members. So the only people that you need to deal with from a taking standpoint is the owner of the fee in the land, the fee simple in the land, the the real property owner, and then the people who hold the right of sepulture. Right of what? what? Scalp? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What, What was that? So the right of sepulture is the right to control possession of and disposition of human remains. And that right continues after the final disposition of a person. So 
under common law, that would be automatically your next of kin. So a spouse has an automatic right to control the disposition of a spouse and to protect that grave. But now under statutory law in almost all 50 states, we can appoint another person to hold the right of sepulture on our behalf. So it's not super clear who might hold the right of sepulture, but it is typically the next of kin. So if you have fairly recent burials, you can usually identify who that person is. If it's burials from the 1800s, that's going to be a lot more difficult. That would take some real research to figure that out. So the disinterment process that the state's going to require you to go through would be to do some research and try and identify the descendants of the people who are buried in those graves and to notify them and get their consent or to at least publish that you're doing this. And again, those exact processes vary from place to place. But the key point is you need to get the sign off. You need to take the underlying real property. And then you also need to get the consent of the kin of those that you're going to move the graves for. Let's break this down even further. Say I am a project manager on a large road project and everything looks good, except through this one meadow where we're going to put a road, there is a headstone and it says, here lies John Brown. He was a good man, period. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's on public property. It's on Mm -hmm. city-owned property. and, And that's all you got. If I'm the project manager, I'm going to say like, God, can somebody just go knock that thing over and pretend like we never saw it? So what do you do? Like a situation like that, I don't know who the heck that guy's related to. Dave, don't go knock down. She already said this is like a felony. Don't do this. I don't think she yeah, said felony. Yeah. Oh, well, that's bad. It could be a felony. Well, it's gonna, <laughs> that it's, might be a felony. It's probably going to involve revocation of my law license, so that's good so enough for don't, me. Can you don't do that? Yes, I will okay. do that. Yeah, my legal advice is that's a really bad idea. So the bottom line is you are required. If there's a tombstone there and you have reason to believe that there's a grave, you do, you have to do some research and try and figure out. Maybe John Brown was a former owner of that property. The Brown family used to be there, right? Again, it's really going to kind of depend on how old the grave is, how old the burial is. But depending on where you are in this country, we've got census records going back to the you know 1800s. We have land records going back to the beginning, unless a courthouse burned or something, right? You can find out people who had a connection to that site. So if there was a person with any connection to that site, you, in most cases, somebody can figure out what's going on. Well, what constitutes reason to believe it's a grave site? If there's a headstone, got it. What else? Well, I don't know that there's super clear law on that, but I would since it is a criminal penalty, if you judge wrong, I would err on the side of caution. If a surveyor flags it, I mean, often a surveyor will flag that there's some evidence of graves. If it shows up on a phase one environmental that there was evidence of graves in the past, et cetera. Now, if if a neighbor says, oh, I think there's some graves back there in the woods, now you need to be a little bit more careful about who you're listening to, right? If there's no other evidence, but most of the statutes are really about knowledge, actual knowledge, or did you have a reasonable suspicion that this was a grave site? So again, because it is a criminal penalty, I would err on the side of caution. Okay. And Tanya, like... A gravesite. Okay. Does that mean there is here is a whole human body under the ground? Or is it like what if you find a finger, a fingernail? Dave mentioned in our intro talking about like what if there's just evident like the dirt has changed color suddenly? What constitutes a grave? 
So one of those common rules that is true in every state is once a person dies and becomes human remains, that body, no matter the state of decomposition, is human remains forever. So once it becomes buried in dirt and decomposes and mingles with the dirt, it's still human remains forever. Now, we may think that's ridiculous. <laughs> we may think that's ridiculous, but that is what the law says, that the human remains become part of the dirt. So even if all you find is discolored earth, that's still you still have to disinter that, put it into a casket and have it reinterred in another cemetery. Okay. Now, you, one of the key things you said there is someone who has died. I believe you said someone who has died, their remains. Like, cause we've talked about like, what if you find like, what if somebody got a, like buried their amputated leg, but they're still living somewhere. Right. Does that count right. as human remains? Yeah. So the law doesn't have a concept for that. Believe it or not, this comes up a lot. Wow. Well, I get a lot of questions because when you're like the only person in law school that studies this kind of stuff, people <laughs> with their questions find you and come to you. So I get a lot of questions from people like I have to have such and such part amputated. Can I take it home with me from the hospital? So Ew. the law treats material removed from your body while you're living as medical waste. Okay. So the leg or the arm. Now, I mean, the problem is if you're digging and you find an arm. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know, right? How do you know wh where that arm came from? So then you have to call in the corner of the state archaeologist. They'll help you figure out what you're dealing with. Well, I, I want to be clear because I don't want to mislead anybody. But if I'm a project manager and we find a femur or a radius or an ulna, I can't just say, hey, I'm pretty sure that was medical waste and just, just keep going. <laughs> I would stop work immediately and follow the process in the, in the state law. Your project and, yeah. just got a lot more complicated <laughs> is what happened. I mean, if you find human body parts, you just need to stop work in general and call the county coroner because right. then there's a whole nother set of laws about if you discover a deceased human being and you don't report it to the appropriate authorities, especially if it's fresh, then you don't want right. to participate in covering up a crime. <laughs> right, right. Might be a crime scene. Oh, gosh. But right, exactly. I, I want to go back to something you said, and I, I literally almost said, everybody stop talking. I want to pause <laughs> and let this sink in for the listener, okay? I want everybody to really grasp this. And what you said, and this is crazy, is human remains, eventually they disintegrate, they become part of the dirt, and they continue to be human remains. This, to me, from where I sit, seems like horrible policy based in antiquated beliefs because you're essentially turning human remains into nuclear waste. Like, it has no shelf life, like, lasts forever. Correct. I mean, if you follow, that all, the, if you follow that all the way down the rabbit hole, isn't that what we're saying? Yes. No, it's a ludicrous concept to say that human remains last forever. But our rights as the deceased in a grave also last forever. Also not a great policy from a land use perspective. And these are antiquated concepts. I mean, nobody in America created a statute like for the first time that created this concept. This goes back to Rome. I mean, this is Roman law that human remains, once they become part of the real estate buried, they they merge with the real estate and forever transform the legal nature of the real estate in fundamental ways that can't ever be changed. So, I mean, these are pretty antiquated concepts, but we haven't changed them in Western society in thousands of years. Hey, Tanya. 
You want to play a little game? Absolutely. Okay, here on Infrastructure Junkies, we have a little game we play called Over Under Push. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you three items that are all somehow related. And you are going to tell us for each item, whether it is overrated, it's underrated, or eh, it's a push. It's just kind of aptly rated. Are you good with this? I'm clear, yes. Okay. So your category is... She, she went to Harvard. This is not going to be hard for her, okay? <laughs> okay. I don't know. It depends on the category. Well, she also went to Indiana, so maybe it will be a little bit hard. <laughs> you know what? You are, mute him. He's fired. You know what? Go Hoosiers. Okay, are you ready? He's outvoted on the you are way outvoted. I, I, I'm sorry, Professor. I just like to yank Kristen's chain because she has well, a, you're a yanking, graduate you're degree from Tanya's Indiana. You're yanking Tanya's, too, so you better watch it. Okay, back to Over Under Push. The category is death songs. Okay? These are songs about death. I'll tell you the three songs first, and we'll go through each one individually. Oh, and another little key aspect to this game is that these are your opinions, but we will then judge them and tell you whether your opinions are correct or incorrect. I got it. So there's that. I was was clear on that. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) So your death songs to rate are Last Kiss by the great band Pearl Jam, one of our favorites, The Day the Music Died, and Don't Fear the Reaper. Are you ready? Okay. Let's go with Last Kiss by Pearl Jam. And if, if you're unfamiliar, that's okay, too. We'll sing it for you. We will. No, I know I know Last Kiss. All right. It's a good song. She's yeah. contemplating. Now, I can only do over, under, push, one for nope. each. You can. They can all be overrated, all be underrated. Oh, it's okay. up to you. But then we'll tell you if you're right or not. So there's that, too. I gotcha. Right. I gotcha. Last Kiss, I'm going to have to say push, because I think it is highly rated and appropriately so. Okay. All right. Huh. You know, what's interesting, side note, is that is the uh, biggest single that Pearl Jam ever released. And I realize they're not the original artist, but that's their number one single. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. crazy. So you're giving that a push. All right. All right. Let's go with, we'll we'll tell you if you're right or not at the end of this. What about the day the music died? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to go with slightly overrated, although I do probably know all the words to that song. Well, and isn't it one of those songs where if you're in a group and that song comes on, like you're all going to sing it together. You have to sing it. There's like camaraderie in the moment. But it's so long. It is really long. (laughs) It's a very long song. Yeah. Okay. What about Don't Fear the Reaper? Ah, nah, nah, over. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is interesting. This is interesting. I'm going to tell you that on Last Kiss, you said it's a push. I think I would agree with you only because Pearl Jam is the greatest band of all time, but it's like maybe my least favorite song they ever put out. So those two balance out and make it a push. What do you think, Dave? I I think I don't care what you think. This is my game. All right. The day the music died, you said overrated. I don't, I do need your help on this one, Dave. You think she's right? It's long. It's very long. I think it's generational, depending on whether it's overrated or underrated. When I was a kid and it came out, <clears throat> did I just say that out loud? When that <laughs> song came out, <laughs> it was such an anthem. And now it's become such a cliche to the younger generations, I think. So yeah. it depends on, are you talking about my generation or, or my daughters? For my daughters, it's probably underrated because they don't make it's, good music and they're like, like it's that. It's new and exciting and they're all learning yeah. the words to it. They something. have lyrics that don't rap. And don't fear the reaper. Yes. That's a hard yeah. over. Knocked it out. You know part. what? I think we're going to give you three for three on this one. Congratulations. Woo. I know Gotta you're excited. <laughs> Maybe you'll get another degree out of that from Harvard. Probably. <laughs> okay. Before our fun game, you mentioned something. You said something to the effect of our rights in the grave last forever or something. Our, our rights in the grave? Like I die, I'm dead, I'm buried, I have rights, I'm dead? 
Yeah, that's kind of a crazy concept for most of us to um, accept. But yes, the dead in the United States have rights. So we have a right to a decent burial. And the way the courts have expressed it is decent burial, even though the cremation rate is now over 50%. So it really should be, we have a right to a decent disposition. And then if we're buried, we have a right to perpetual, perpetual undisturbed repose. So we have a right for our remains to remain undisturbed forever. Infinity, forever. Infinity, yeah. But why? Well, the why is because this was a country that was founded by people who adhered to Christian beliefs and Church of England and all the other Protestant sects and the Catholic Church all believed if you were going to be resurrected, you had to have your remains placed in consecrated ground and remain in consecrated ground through the resurrection. That was a, just a very important theological point. And so even though this is a country that did not expressly embrace religious law, the people who were making the rules, that was baked into their view of the world, right? So this idea that you could, in Europe, particularly in the time right around the time the United States was formed and prior to that, it was part of the punishment for traitors and murderers to have your remains dissected and not placed in consecrated ground because you were being punished not only in this life, but you were being punished by having your chances of resurrection be jeopardized. What? I didn't know that. I never That's knew that. insane. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask a, a stupid question. And I'll, are, are there any smart ones? Not from me today. No, not on this topic. <laughs> so we talk about like the dead have rights in perpetuity in this country forever, for infinity, forever. How long? Yeah. I mean, okay. That's unenforceable, <laughs> right? I mean, how long have humans been in existence on the earth forever? A gazillion years. Like how many times do you go in the backyard and build a garden or something? And they're probably at some point, some caveman died there. Like when yeah. our remains turned to dirt, as we talked about, and it's been so long that the dirt isn't even a different color anymore. There's no knuckle bones laying around. Isn't this unenforceable because the evidence of a body existing in any place at some point will go away? So this is why, I mean, yes, obviously. Right. And so I think this is part of the reason why the law differentiates between marked and unmarked graves. Uh -huh. If there's no evidence on top of the earth that there are ever burial places there, if when you dig, you don't find any of the bones are just completely disintegrated and you can't even tell. I mean, there's you dig and you don't find any evidence of a burial. Then, yes, theoretically, a person had a right to undisturbed repose. But if you have no way of knowing that there's a burial there from a practical standpoint, you have no way of knowing there's a burial there, right? Well, I mean, so when my younger son, who's now 15, he was about six years old, we were talking about this idea because I'm such a nerd and you, it is Halloween every day in this house. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> and his comment was, but we're all dinosaurs, right? Like the carbon, whatever, like the molecules in our bodies are recycled the stuff that makes up everything on earth now is just recycled from things that were alive before and are now dead. So yeah, I mean, it is a ludicrous idea, right? With our modern understandings of science, but in this area, as with so many in the law, the law has not caught up to what we understand about the world. I love that. We are all dinosaurs. I love that. But I guess another thought I have about these rights and perpetuity is if I have a right and I'm not granted that right, 
as a living human being, like I can sue somebody or I can do something about it. If you have a right and you're dead and like, you don't get that right. What are you going to come back and haunt somebody? Right. So of course the dead can't sue and the dead can't receive any compensation, right? If they are wronged. But that's that right of sepulture that I was talking about before, right? The person who holds the right of sepulture on behalf of the dead, they are charged with the responsibility of carrying out the decent disposition and they're charged with the responsibility of protecting the undisturbed repose. So they have the responsibility and that also means that they have the right to sue. They have the right to receive, well, not money damages, but they can seek an injunction or cause work to be stopped that's trying to disturb a grave. I want to bring this back around to a right-of-way situation, and I want to raise an issue that you and I discussed in a prior call. My mind is still blown. Is you told me, and I've thought about this, you told me that a dead person essentially has an easement to the immediate property or earth around them. Right. Can you state that in a, in an intelligent way? Not the way Dave Arnold would say it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but you're exactly right. So I, I would say that right of sepulture is in some ways an easement, right? And we're just calling it an easement to give form and shape to the fact that they have a right in their continued use of that real property, right? Yes. So if you are in a right-of-way project, and we know the Fifth Amendment says that no private property shall be taken for public use without just compensation, and that is a property right, that Mm -hmm. easement of the dead person, Mm -hmm. what I can't get my head around is, are we going to pay just compensation to John Brown, the dead guy? He can't use it. Right. So typically in in a case where a cemetery is taken, there's twofold compensation. You have to compensate the owner of the underlying fee for the real property that you're taking. And then you have to compensate the holder of the right of sepulture, or if they can't be found, the court may take it upon themselves to have responsibility for it, or they may give it to the owner of the cemetery to be responsible for it. You have to pay compensation that is sufficient to have those remains removed, disinterred, and then reburied, reinterred in another cemetery. So if the holder of the right of sepulture is can be contacted if they're still around, then they get to choose where the person's going to be reinterred. And it may not be the cheapest place, right? (laughs) But so the compensation is going to be reimbursing the owner of the fee for the real property and then bearing the cost of disinterment and reinterment. But you don't get additional cash. And of course, you can't pay the debt. You can't pay the debt. Okay. So we talked about, you said earlier something about how over 50% of the deceased people who die now are cremated, right? Right. Um, I know that's been trending that direction for quite some time. Do the same rules apply to someone who is cremated? And the reason I ask this is we talk about they have this perpetual easement or they have the rights to repose. And if you go throw the ashes off the Golden Gate Bridge, like what does that mean? Are the rules different with cremation? (laughs) Well, it would certainly make sense if the rules were different with cremation. Unfortunately, the law has not quite caught up to the fact that cremation is a thing. So the common law in the United States equates disposition with burial. And it uses the word burial all over the place. But since 2015, we hit the 50% mark on cremation in the United States, and it's just been going up. Within 10 years, we'll be at 70% cremation rate in the United States, which now matches, that would match Canada and Western Europe. 
But the problem with the common law sort of modernizing is you have to have courts that are looking at disputes and are able to issue opinions about a set of facts. So it takes a while for the court to catch up with new realities. You have to have a bunch of people suing over disturbance of cremated remains in order to get new law in the common law that sort of reflects that new reality. We haven't had that yet. So we don't have common law that sort of deals with cremated remains at all. But we have state statutes that define human remains to include cremated remains. So if it's a crime to desecrate human remains, those statutes now say it's a crime to desecrate cremated remains. I don't know how you desecrate cremated remains. I, that does not, that's not meaningful to me. And we don't have cases of prosecution and reported cases telling us what that means, but that's what the law says. Okay. Let me apply this to something which could be very real in the right-of-way industry is where we've got a road project and we're going to take a small farm to either widen mm -hmm. a road or build a new road. And they go out and they interview the landowner. I don't know, maybe the appraiser does. Somebody interviews the landowner in, in the early stages, and the landowner says, yep, well, I inherited this farm from my Aunt Edna, and Edna, Edna is in the chain of title. And he says, yep, her ashes, as a matter of fact, because she gave us this here farm, we spread her ashes all over the meadow out there. And so you have actual knowledge that there are cremated remains spread through the meadow. What do you do now? Do I have to call somebody? So the disinterment statutes and the statutes that would require you to notify somebody if you find a burial place, those would not apply to spread cremated remains on top of the ground. But if you're dealing with a cemetery and somebody buried an urn that contains cremated remains, you're going to want to treat that the same as a burial well, and so, isn't that interesting when you talk about cremains, like you can, they can be spread somewhere or they can be in an urn on your mantle or they can be buried. And I would think that each of those situations would have to, in an urn on your mantle, I think that's a personal property now, right? I mean, uh, right? Is it? I don't know. Is uh, it? Uh, let's ask the professor. Human remains are not property. Okay. So I deal in relocation, which is like we move personal property from point A to point B. So I would think of like a vase would be personal property. A vase with a lid filled with... Uncle Earl's remains is not personal property. The vase and the lid are. Okay. So the contents are not. So it's so vastly different to me to think about the urn on the mantle versus ashes that have been thrown to the wind off of a bridge versus an urn that is buried into the ground or in a mausoleum or something. Yeah. The big difference, too, with the urn that's buried in the ground is that you may have a person who purchased that burial spot, right? If they purchase mm -hmm. that burial spot, that's a real property interest, too. And so even if you can't find the holder of the right of sepulture, perhaps they're the ones that would then have the right to receive compensation in order to move that urn to another cemetery. Hey, Tanya, I think this is a perfect time for our second round of over-under push. Are you in? Sounds great. Okay. Sounds great. You might not be surprised that this one also has a, a little bit of a macabre theme. We are going to be going with death movies. Okay. All right. Your death movies, which you are going to tell us whether they are overrated, underrated, or eh, it's a push, are Beetlejuice. And I only said that once. I'm not going to say it three Don't times or it it's going to be a problem. Right. Uh, number two would be The Sixth Sense. And number three would be Ghost. That's a pretty good Ooh. mix of death movies, like isn't it? it. I like okay. it. 
So let's go with Beetlejuice. Oh, no. I said, oh, no. I said, don't do that. Sorry. I'm so sorry. We'll see what happens. Uh, Is that Michael Keaton? What's happening? (laughs) All right. Let's go with Beetlejuice. Over, under, or it's a push. I'm going to have to go with push because I think it is highly rated and appropriately so. There's a Broadway show Mm -hmm. and it's like reaching a whole new generation of people. And it has like one of the best scenes in a movie ever when they sing the day at the dinner and everybody's yeah, possessed yeah. and <laughs> Catherine, Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara. Oh, yeah. it's so good. Okay. Sixth Sense. I think Sixth Sense is a little overrated. What? Well, hold on. We'll come. Let's come back to that answer. Right, I accept your answer for the moment. All right. Number three, <laughs> Ghost. Uh, yeah. Molly, you in danger, girl. I gotta go with Push. I, I'm not sure Ghost has aged that well. Okay, okay, well, well let's, let's I can review. tell you, yeah, <laughs> is the literally the most overrated movie in the history of American cinema. It was Patrick Swayze, for crying out loud, the worst actor ever. And the scene with the pottery, like, that, the whole scene is overrated. But let me say, if you could just strip Whoopi Goldberg's scene out of that movie, it's quality. But other than that, I don't know. Okay, Beetlejuice, you said it's a push. I'm, ah, I'm not sure it's not underrated. I don't know. It's such a good movie. Well, I think, think I think her point was that it it garnered all these accolades and that was appropriate. So and it that's is why. on Broadway now. Right, so. right. Okay. You know what? We'll accept that. Now, the sixth sense. <laughs> yeah, we we have to talk about this. All right. If if we're talking sixth sense, like back when it came out, which in my mind I'm like four years ago, but it was probably like thirty years ago because I have no concept of time with pop culture. But like the day that the sixth sense came out, if you went to the theater that day. And you watched it. I promise you, you left that theater and your mind was blown. Nobody saw that. You didn't know what was, you didn't see it coming. Yeah. That raises a question that I want to ask Tanya is I know some people who are smart and some who think they're smart. And I have this group of people who all claim, oh, I knew it. I knew he was dead from the beginning. Hey, spoiler alert. Just I want to ask her. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's already seen the movie. I know. You can't, Did you, can't you see do a it coming? 20 years later. Did you see it coming? Be honest. No, no. See, and she specializes in dead people, man. Right. She well, I didn't see when I saw The Sixth Sense. Right. Oh, okay. Fair. Maybe that's what got you into this. When we said, how did you get into this? You could have just been like, well, I saw The Sixth Sense, and now here yeah. we are. Yeah. All right. You said over. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm going to accept that, too, because it's, it's maybe overrated now when we're watching it, and we already know what happens at the end. So, you know what? I think Tanya today is six for six on OUP. Very good. Woo. Congratulations. Very good. I very feel good. very proud. Yeah, you yeah. So if that uh, law professor stuff doesn't work out, you can rate movies and music. Perfect. I can become a game show contestant. Hello. Right. Right. <laughs> One more thing I want to cover before we let you go, Tanya. This has been a fascinating episode for me. Is there was a Seventh Circuit case involving the runway at O'Hare Airport and grave relocation, and I think it's a fairly famous case. And I wanted to see, since it's right up our alley in the right-of-way industry, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Well, that's the St. John's United Church of Christ versus the City of Chicago case, and it was decided by the Seventh Circuit in 2007. So when the City of Chicago was expanding and modernizing O'Hare, they were taking over 400 acres and, you know, homes, schools. It's a a whole mixture of different land uses, but they had originally indicated that they were going to take two cemeteries. And I believe they only ended up taking one, which was St. John's United Church of Christ that I believe had 1,100 graves in it. And some of those were older graves because the cemetery had been in use for some time, but some of them were burials within the last five years, right? So the church fought this taking pretty hard and tried to get Chicago to change their plan, et cetera. 
there is no exception to eminent domain rights in the government for cemeteries. There's no exception for churches. But St. John's Church tried to argue that the Illinois religious freedom law protected the cemetery from the relocation and from the taking. And the Seventh Circuit rejected that. So it cut off that line of argument because it said that the underlying statute said that cemeteries could be taken and it was neutrally applied. That is, they weren't targeting the St. John Cemetery because it was a religious cemetery. It just happened to be a religious cemetery. It's long been the case in the United States that even though we have this idea that you have rights in the grave forever and ever and ever, that's until the government wants to take your land for right. a public purpose. <laughs> <Right>. Just kidding. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, that, that seems like a necessary, I hate to say necessary evil, but it, it's a necessity. Otherwise, we're not going to have any space for infrastructure projects eventually if everybody wants to be buried and you can never take that property or relocate them. Professor Marsh, last question, and, and we put a pin in this earlier, and then we're going to wrap up. What if you had no reason to believe that there was a grave or a cemetery and you're plowing through it. And then what do you do? Like it's done, been plowed through. Yeah. It's been plowed through. Yep. Like you're and getting you ready didn't to notice. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting ready to lay the roadbed or you had no idea. Oops. Well, but at what point do you find out that it was a cemetery? Like somebody tells you, oh, you just dug up a cemetery. Let's or say you... that. What if you laid the road and then somebody says, oh yeah, you just plowed through our family plot. Well, I think that practically speaking, when you're doing site disturbance like that, you're going to find some evidence and right in, in the process. And if you find evidence in the process, you got to stop. If you've already completed the process, you never saw any evidence. And then somebody tells you, oh, that was our family cemetery. Better safe than sorry. I'd tell the state archaeologist or whoever you need to report to, you know, with the state. But at that point, what are you going to do? Well, yeah. So I'm Dave, the project manager, and we've laid a small road. And then somebody comes out and says, hey, you're laying asphalt out there right through the Joneses public plot. Do I shrug my shoulders and say, well, too bad for them. Do you notify somebody after the fact and then say, sorry, better to ask for forgiveness? I will. I mean, given that it's a crime, no. <laughs> there are a lot of things that I'm in favor of asking for forgiveness rather than permission, but not if the doing the thing would be a crime. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, this has been a wonderful episode. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And I know you're busy because I've read your CV. No and, kidding. And, and I've, I have really enjoyed our time together. Me too, Tanya. And speaking of your CV, you also have a podcast, right? I do. Yes. It's called Death at Sec. Death at Sec. And where can our listeners find out more about this? Where do we find you? Wherever fine podcasts are listened to, I guess. Yeah. Perfect. On all the places. All and the then places. there's also a website, www.deathatsec.com. Death at Sec. I'm looking it up. Me too. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you, guys. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. No! 